0: So when that happened, I was like, right, I'm, I'm gonna make myself two promises. I'm gonna make sure going forward I have fun, and I'm gonna stay open yeah. to absolutely everything. I'm gonna just say yes, <laughs> no matter how uncomfortable I feel, or I'm just gonna dive in. And I did, and I, I did not hold back, and I started my company, which is called Peak Music UK, and. I reignited all of my passions. I started songwriting again. I started singing. I reconnected Mm. with the girl group and we ended up performing in front of 16,000 people for the first time in 18 years. I was on a stage. My partner was in the audience, pregnant with our daughter, able (laughs) to watch. And all of this stuff just started happening and my my belief started coming back and I was able to say, I'm a songwriter, Mm. I'm a producer and I couldn't before. And I found myself again. And I, found my, I found my passion.
1: Welcome to season two of Do Good and Do Well. My name is Sarah Fox, and I'm a life and leadership coach and founder of the Do Good and Do Well community. And this is a podcast where we explore how to be a change maker without losing yourself. Let's get to it. Hi everyone, welcome to today's episode. How are you today? I'm thrilled to have Eve Horn on the show today. Eve is a singer songwriter producer and founder of Peak Music UK. Her journey started at the Brit School. She then signed to Polydor, then EMI and toured internationally. Eve is a qualified sound engineer, co-founder of Marlowe and the Magpie, a production agency. She's a native instrument certified specialist and an engineer producer at Fitzrovia Post. Eve's here today because she is passionate about promoting women, black and minority ethnic women and LGBTQ plus communities in music. She has a YouTube channel which provides fun, easy follow walkthroughs on production hardware and software and she's recently launched a campaign called We Are The Unheard to promote equality for women in the music industry. Eve is going to share all of that with you. If you get something from this episode, then please do share it with others. Please consider contributing to my coffee fund. I am raising money to keep this podcast going, to be able to share the voices of artists and creatives and change makers in the world and to help with production and promotional costs. Every coffee is much, much appreciated. I'll put the link in the show notes. Here's our conversation. Hello, Eve, and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. How are you today? Hello, my lovely.
0: I'm good. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
1: Ah, you are welcome. I've really been looking forward to this. I um, know. <laughs> okay, so first question, what would you like us to know about you? Well, where do I start? That's the question <laughs> yeah. I ask back. So, my name's
0: Eve Horn. I am 45 this year, and I live in South London, South East London. I grew up in a council estate in southeast London and at the very young age of 13 I got to go to the Brit school so that's Mm -hmm. you know where my music journey began because I'm a I'm a singer songwriter producer currently I'm also founder of Peak Music UK but we'll come to that in a minute (laughs) so yeah I I began my my music journey as a singer very very young I went to the Brit school and traveled two and a half hours because it was in Croydon so yeah I had to yeah get a bus there like the 75 bus and it it took
1: forever two and a half hours just to get there yeah and then you had two and a half hours to get back yeah every day yeah that is commitment well yeah i've
0: always i do you know what it's something i definitely have had if there's if i want to do something i will do what i need to to yeah. to do it i've always had that drive which is a good and a bad thing i think <laughs> So yeah, I did that. I went to the Brits, and then I got signed to my first record label, Polydor, when I was 18. So I ended up leaving the Brits to get to get signed to the label, and we toured with Backstreet Boys and Boyzone, and performed at Wembley, and we flew to America quite a lot. We were in New York, and we worked with Jermaine Dupri, who who's done a lot from the Carey. he's done loads of Mariah Carey stuff yeah. and. And that was fantastic and oh Peter Andre as well and then I got signed to EMI in another girl group uh in and then I moved to Denmark and lived in Denmark for three years with them and we were able to tour all of Asia and Singapore Philippines all of that and you know we we still have a, a Christmas number one that that, that goes, yeah. Well, I don't know if it still goes to number one, but it, it's the most played Christmas song in Denmark. <laughs> so cool. Twenty years later, I know it's <laughs> it's crazy. Unfortunately, though, we didn't write it. The guy who wrote it, Remy, he's a lovely guy. Wrote it for his daughter when she was born. And so, in two thousand and eighteen, we all got together and and performed with with a uh, the Danish version of the Philharmonic Orchestra on TV um, with his daughter performing with us. That <sighs> was beautiful, yeah. For the 20th anniversary, it was great. So yeah, that I did that and then I came back to the UK and unfortunately I got depression. And that was in around like 2000 because obviously I'd gone straight from school into this life of mm-hmm. amazingness and it's something I'd always dreamed of doing and, and I'd achieved it. And then I had to somehow adapt to coming back to normal life. I'd been, you know, on morning television, private jets, limos, all of that, to actually paying to get on a bus. Mm-hmm. And it sounds crazy, but I just felt like a massive failure. And you just think everyone's looking at you thinking you failed, like you didn't make it. And I think that was, I was 23 when I came back to the UK. And I remember mess- contacting the Brit school saying, you know, I'd really love to get something in place that supports people on the way back down, you know, and helps people to adapt to normal life again because it's really hard. And no one was talking about depression at this time and I had I had no idea what was going on. But I did what I could and you know, I I was put on antidepressants and I went to the gym and you know, I decorated my flat the same as it was in Denmark to try and keep familiar. And I started a course and I was like, you know what, I I didn't like the little bit of fame that I had. I you know, I didn't like not being in the mood, but having to go and sign autographs and having to put my face on. That that part of it I didn't like. Everything else I loved, you know, the performing. But I just didn't like the, the fakeness or having to f- pretend not to be feeling the way I was, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to be a producer and a songwriter because I could still be in the industry but not have to deal with the public side of things. So I, I went to university and I studied to be a sound engineer. And it was when I was there, I was only one of six women in the whole year and I was the only one of colour. And I've only just realised that in the last month that I was the only one of colour, that I was like, oh, yeah, you know, these things, you don't even think about it until Mm -hmm. you have conversations like this. But it was then I did my dissertation on the lack of female sound engineers in the industry, and that was what, I mean, the internet had just birthed, so I could hardly find any information but that was like when I first started thinking something isn't right here. As an artist, I was fine. There's loads of women. But when I came over to that side, I was like, where is where is all the women? Like, where are they? And it planted the seed. So when I graduated, uh, me and another girl from uni, we set up a recording studio with the Prince's Trust in the area that I grew up in So I wanted to help disadvantaged young people so they didn't have to travel Two and a half hours (laughs) to do something creative. (laughs) Um, So we got funding from the Prince's Trust to do that. And we also wanted to promote female producers. And this was in 2003, I think. So a long time ago. And there was no one doing anything for women back then. You know, it's very, it's like banging your head against the wall, Mm -hmm. you know. But we won a National Business Award, which is up
1: there. Oh I can see it I can see it everybody you can't I can. And (laughs) an enterprising London award there and there's
0: there's my little graduation picture. I love awards. Um, (laughs) So yeah we won those which was fantastic for the work we did with young people and for promoting women but then unfortunately my business partner's mum passed away she'd been battling cancer for a long time and so we'd been running the, the business for like five years and Doing everything ourselves from building our own website, funding applications, being the engineers in the studio, working 12 to 18 hour days, yeah. you know, it was just too much. And and so with that on top, I wanted to keep going, but she, she just had enough. So we ended up working at Apple, as <laughs> you do. <laughs> well, the thing is, we t- used to take our computer there all the time from the studio, so and they they were recruiting, so we both turned up and both got the job. And then I became an expert and she became a genius. And we worked there for a while and I then left. And because I had some illness, I ended up having... Well, I had severe endometriosis, which had led to me having a hysterectomy and then I had bowel surgery. So that kind of, like just added another thing the the whole time going through this I was still struggling with the depression and stuff so I'd had like a massive love-hate relationship with the music industry I'd lost my myself Mm -hmm. at this time you know I just I was basing everything on my previous achievements and setting everything at that level um, obviously, I didn't know that at the time. But looking back now, I could see where I was going wrong. And so every time I'd sit and try and make a track, I was like, I'm useless. Or I stopped singing. I've been with my partner yeah. nearly eight years now. And for the first five, six years of our relationship, I didn't sing at home. And I used to sing all the time. And and I was in this massive struggle with my identity. Um, and then, like I said, I, I had the operation and i that that was another hit and i was like god you know what if i can't do music then i might as well just do something that allows me to earn as much money as i can because i'm just struggling and a friend had told me about this this train driving thing that was that it was about so I, I applied for it and i got it and then i i became a train train operator and then from there I was on the trains for like a year again public couldn't deal with it and and then I was like I can't do this so behind the scenes I went and became what is called a shunter uh, it's like a depot assistant so it it's working in the depots of the train train yard and helping move them all around and get them ready for service and doing all the safety checks and and um it wasn't I liked the job but the environment really wasn't me morally and there was a lot of isms Mm. and being a mixed-race woman who's gay you you can imagine it's like (laughs) you know doing music my whole life I was like what am I doing but the the money was great and it helped me have some security which I guess is what I was going for at the time so you know it was good and bad but then I met my partner and I think it was about a year in to us meeting, I was I wanted to like smash everything up all the time. And I was like, what's going on? What's happening to me? I didn't, couldn't understand it. And back on the antidepressants, I went and then I started getting sweats and then i realized i was going through my menopause <laughs> i had been going through my menopause yeah. uh, and didn't realize yeah so that's what kicked me back into that but so then then i was like you know what i can't do this I, i'm working nights you know doing like 18,000 steps a night cuz i was tracking them um i was exhausted i was you know having sweats while i was at work and we were planning to have our daughter, so uh, I was like, I don't want to be constantly tired. Mm. And work wasn't great. I'd become a trainer, an assessor, and just to try and give it some meaning to me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I ended up just I ended up leaving after a long struggle with being unhappy, but not being able to make the jump. Mm-hmm. and my mum and partner for a good few years would like just leave and I was like I can't the money what would I do you know just really not being so scared to just do it and then I got some counselling and I asked for a specific person who delivered CBT because I'd had CBT in the past and I swear by it I mm-hmm. think it's an amazing tool to help individuals through mental health and he gave me so many light bulb moments. You know, one of them was when I said that I constantly feel like I have to prove myself. He reminded me that I don't have to be that person anymore. And in that moment when he said it and he listened, and I was like, oh my God, I don't have to do it. I've done it over and over and over and over again. And I don't need to be that person anymore. Mm. And, you know, that was all due to other things that I was battling as well, like family, my losses that you and I just spoke about um, that I'd had from a very young age, Mm. losing people from, like, 14. And, yeah, so... And then he was also like, ''What would you say to your daughter?'' You know, And I was like, of course I'd say, you know, you can do this. And then I was
1: like, all right, come on now, I've got to. <laughs> I love that question. I have to say as a coach, like, what would you say to a friend? What would you say to your child? It's the most basic thing, but
0: it always need, we always need someone else to tell us. Mm. What we know is the most simple things. And we're all so good at giving advice to others, but we're so bad at telling ourselves, which is why I always say to people as well, look in the mirror. Mm. and say it to yourself mm. and repeat it because that's the closest you can get to someone else telling you mm. because we, we, we just can't look outside ourselves. So when that happened, I was like, right, I'm, I'm going to make myself two promises. I'm going to make sure going forward I have fun and I'm going to stay open yeah. to absolutely everything. I'm going to just say yes. <laughs> no matter how uncomfortable I feel, or I'm just going to dive in and I did and I I did not hold back and I started my company which is called Peak Music UK and I reignited all of my passions I started songwriting again I started singing I reconnected mm. with the girl group and we ended up performing in front of 16,000 people for the first time in 18 years I was on the stage my partner was in the audience pregnant with our daughter able <laughs> to watch and all of this stuff just started happening and my, you know, my belief started coming back and I was able to say, I'm a songwriter. Mm -hmm. I'm a producer. And I couldn't before. And I found myself again and I found my passion. And then I I was able to look back and say, what have I, like all of the things that I believed in have been traits through my whole life. And that is women in the music industry. It's the LGBTQ uh, plus community. It's, Disadvantaged young people mm. that need support, and it's mentoring and training them. And it's, these are the things I've done throughout everything, every job I've had, every company I've run, everything. I've become a mentor or a trainer, and 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 then you know, it just that realization helped me also start my campaign for the equality of women in the music industry because. It's my purpose to give other people a platform to to talk. I need to be the role model for people who don't feel they've got the strength to keep going or don't feel like there's a, that it's a choice for them, like whether they want to be a producer, a DJ, whatever, they, a cleaner. People still need role models in their life, and it's my purpose to be that role model, to speak out for people who feel unheard but haven't got the confidence I'm doing it for them mm. so that's
1: sounds long-winded but it's a very <laughs> short version <laughs> a very short version it's it's a really thank you for sharing that and let's talk about the campaign in a second but i I there are so many things that you talked about then that each deserves its own I know, I was <laughs> its like, own yes, episode doesn't it feel it's free a, to cut anything <laughs> but one of the thing <laughs> I the thing that I noticed in myself and I could feel the tingles the goosebumps all of that was around when you were talking about that the stopping the singing the stop you know you stop singing you stop doing that and then when you and then when you began to find yourself again and you said yes to things the singing came back the performing came back the voice you've always had a voice of course but that confidence i guess in your voice came out and i think working with so many artists over the years and creative change makers I know how the creativity, the art is such a core piece yeah. of who they are. It's not an add-on. No. It's like it is that it's so core to their identity. And so when you hear of people not engaging with that and not doing what they love, it, it honestly it breaks my Heartbreaking. heart. It is. Uh, but it, it's, it's also it's who very... I am.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you can't like, you know, me working in the environments of the trains. No one got it. No one. I was literally a circle trying to fit into a square. I just mm. did not fit in, in every way. You know, I just, you saying that is true because some people, they go to work every day and they have a job and they like it and whatever, but it's not them. And when you are an artist or whatever, it literally is your person. It's everything that you are. It's your soul. And yeah, I was lost. I was My soul, and I remember saying when I left the job, I was like, "My soul is dying. I need to get back into music." And that was Mm -hmm. literally the sentence I said to myself. And it is when you hear it back, I feel sorry for myself in that state. Looking back at it now, like, and I feel part—I do feel responsible for allowing myself to to give myself that block by having such high standards. But I guess what can you do? I, I had depression. Mm-hmm. I, that's what you know. I'd lived. I didn't know anything else, and I had to go through this. I had to, mm-hmm.
1: because now is is the time, and now feels right. And I could see even. I mean, I know this is audio, but I and but I'm sure that people can the change in tone in energy when you were talking about that part of your life to when you were like and then I just to <laughs> everything but <We're> all <laughs> your body language changed your energy changed you've got this massive smile on your face that's the the joy that's the stuff that keeps us motivated and going and that connection to your creative drive and who you are is so is so key to that and and Yeah, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. So, okay, I'm going to ask you this first. Yes, go,
0: go, go. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) I always end up crying. I'm
1: crying out of joy. Don't worry. It's, (laughs) It's a good thing. So... I'll give you the things that are in my head and you can choose which one to respond to. Okay. So there's... I like this. When we're connected to our creativity and that's so part of our identity, there's questions for me around how then do you sell that as a service? Because that's one of the, you know, the things we talked about before we came to record this, that, you know, how do you kind of separate the self from this is your business and who you are and there's lots of stuff tied up around values and the value of self that there's that topic Mm -hmm. I want to ask you what does do good and do well mean for you because I think particularly with the campaign my observation what I'm noticing is that that your whole experience over the last 25 years or so has as you say come to this point and you want your message to be amplified and you want to make a positive contribution to the world and I'm interested in how you do that and look after yourself in the process. Oh, yes, There's that. Right. <laughs> Let's just stick with the two.
0: What okay. are your thoughts? Well, I mean, we can do as many as you want. <laughs> so, the first one, so I I actually have struggled with being a creative and being able to monetize myself purely because, you know, if you're a singer or something like that and you do that as a job, it's, it's quite clear cut that that's what you get paid for. But then, then it becomes blurry when you have to look at you and you have to create a program that you want to empower people's lives with but then you're like how I'm not qualified I'm not a coach I'm not this, I'm not qualified as a coach in inverted commas mm-hmm. and so I was like I'll just do this and then offer that and and so many people are like that's too cheap that's not enough what are you doing you you know and it was only when they were like look at everything that you have done in the last 20 years you know the time you've spent the money you've spent my university was private the, all of the time and effort you've invested is what you need to use to, when you're monetizing yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was only then that I was like, it sat okay with me because it's not just because you you've struggle with selling yourself as a, as a creative because we're all supposed to be these poor creatives that do favours for everyone.
1: Yeah, that narrative. Um, there's that
0: side of it, yeah, and that's just the subconscious constant with anyone that's creative. But then there's the other side of it sitting right. Like I've had business coaches and I just can't, the way that they do their stuff, it just for me doesn't sit right on a moral Mm -hmm. thing. So I've got a moral thing happening here. Like I want to do good, but obviously I've got to make a living. So I have to create it in a way that the value is so strong that it kind of, is okay for me to charge that price, do you know what I
1: mean? I think also there is that narrative of the kind of poor struggling artist and the the constant exchange, which on the one hand, I think in a way, I was going to say there's nothing wrong with it, but there is something about that kind of care and consideration and altruism and wanting to support others, which is a really beautiful thing and people need to pay their bills, and where do we value this work? I have seen over my career so many examples of how arts and creativity impact on human beings, and bringing joy, being able to Connect with a piece of music or a piece of art, and make you think about yourself and the way you are in the world. About how it brings people together and connects communities together. And with it's no judgment or anything, you know. Yeah, it's just that like human connection. Yeah, exactly. And and it's not. I mean I don't know about the music industry as much but in participatory arts that isn't necessarily valued no. in a in a kind of financial reward sense yeah um yeah it's i i I, and I, I absolutely hear you when you talk about th- the way you do business has to align with your values and your ethics and when you when we're 95 and we're sat on a bench somewhere and we look back at our lives you know to be able to say I did it right yeah yeah honestly that means so much more to me and
0: uh, you know I remember when I started the studio one of the the taglines was you don't need greed to succeed Um, because I still believe that you can still be successful and not greedy you know Because it just ruins everything if you have that mindset and you're going, I think the value has to be there first for the people that you're helping. I remember when I first started the company Peak, I was so grateful that organisations wanted me to do a workshop for them or whatever, that I was just doing it all for free. I was just so grateful. I was like, oh my God, I'm being given a chance. And it was that, that is where the problem lies. Mm-hmm. I wasn't valuing myself. Mm-hmm. And there's one company in particular that started paying me. And I was like, oh, like, I was like, thank you so much. And they're like, no, thank you. And I'm, I'm like, Ugh, don't do that. Like, <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> allergic, can't take compliments. Do you know what I mean? Oh, twitching. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because again, it physically does something to you because you're not used to it. Yeah, Um, yeah. So it was last year, again, I I said to myself, I'm going forward, I'm not going to do anything for free unless Mm. it is obviously helping someone, but I'm not just going to keep saying yes to Mm. things for free.
1: Well, I guess it's a conscious choice, isn't it? You're not saying yes to doing something free out of a fear that you're not going to get any other work or Mm. or a fear about yourself and not being good enough and not... uh, sort of having that value of self it's coming from a place of I am enough and I'm here to offer this service yeah. and I'm happy to do that for yeah. free. But I need to please everybody which is yeah. I want everybody to love me and like me so yes I'll do anything
0: <laughs> you know and you know I don't know if it's a creative thing that we're all like that but or I don't know if it's you know people's individual stories but you know there's a lot of intersectionality mm-hmm. happening yeah, right here yeah. and yeah uh, that's had a big part to yeah. play as well. You know, I've been brought up by my nan. My nan's Irish, my granddad's Scottish, and that I was brought up by that side of my family. So my dad didn't want anything. Well, he wasn't around, shall mm. I say. Whether he wanted anything to do with me, I wouldn't know. But probably not, seeing as he wasn't around. <laughs> but I don't know if that had anything to do with me trying to, feeling like I had to prove myself to, mm. to for my mum because she, she did an amazing job. But did I take on her pain? I, I always wanted to make her proud, so subconsciously was that part of it or is it just being a creative and I'm a Virgo and we're stupidly emotional? Like, I cry at... I just cry. I'm just crying all the time.
1: <laughs> so there's I, a lot. <laughs> yeah, there is. And, that, and and I my own experience is that I have very working class roots I also grew up on a council estate and I said this before one of those 1950 ones that they built kind of try and keep everyone in yeah. <laughs> you know it's really hard to find your way out again it was one it oh was one God, of those I the same around here I'm like once anyone comes here it's like the Bermuda Triangle you yeah. never leave yeah. yeah 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 I think they built it that way yeah. so, but there's this sense of wanting to belong you 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 want to belong you want to be loved and so this sort of behaviour starts to manifest itself and for me it was a lot around people pleasing yeah and I can talk about this because I've had quite a lot of therapy as well so I kind of understand it more uh, and where I've come from and and how that how that applies to where I am now and yeah I guess maybe there is something about the narrative around the creative industries but I think it is all those individual stories that we have of how we felt when we were the little people yeah yeah and and living you know
0: as humans we do we get taught what our parents got taught and what their parents got taught and it's only when you're I don't know like at this age that you can reflect and see actually how things have affected you I was on a a, a thing yesterday with with some doing a, a little course thing and one of the women said that like for 30 years she had struggled with her confidence and feeling good enough because her dad used to say to her constantly, Yeah, that's good, but. Mm-hmm. And he probably had no idea that that's what he was doing to her. But it's that narrative and that the way that we talk to people that shapes their outlook on life. Mm-hmm. And we have to be really mindful. When you have children, of the way how we portray ourselves, and I'm super mindful about. Yeah,
1: I don't get it right, but it's mm. in my conscious. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. Is this being passed down, isn't it, the way that you're spoken to, and the the cycle needs to be broken sometimes, and it and it and often it's it's about starting with the self awareness. Once you become more self aware of that type of language, and you can't really blame parents or their parents because
0: you know my nan and granddad were going through the war. Mm. They wouldn't have had time to self-respect. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like running that from book back. on <laughs> the stories that my nan used to tell me like they'd have to on a New Year's Eve, what do we have the radio on or do we, you know, have the light on? That's yeah. know, the amount of electric they had. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. You know, my 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 dad, he my No, my granddad was in prison and my dad talked about they had no money for the electrics and he would be given, he used to go to this choir and he'd be given some money and he would put that in the electric box so that they'd have electricity. And I mean, it's a world so far from how I live right now that this is... A luxury to be able to yeah. sit here with you on a Thursday afternoon chatting yeah. about our you know, lives. Not going um,
0: down the coal mines.
1: Yeah. Know. Yeah. But this is what I mean. Maybe
0: it's because we have too much, too much choice that we're all slightly damaged.
1: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> slightly. <laughs> okay, right. Come on. Right. If we digress. Okay so my question what does do good and do well mean to you Eve so do good means to
0: wake up every day and try your best to help you to be a good decent person you know whether that's helping someone with some bags whether it's not biting someone's head off working on your patience whether it's making someone a cup of tea or anything that is doing something that isn't just for yourself. With me, it's making sure that I am delivering the right message every day in in what I do and trying to help someone Mm. and, and change the world in a way. Because I know that sounds massive and dramatic, but the butterfly effect is real. One small flap of the wings has... A massive mm-hmm. effect and mm-hmm. us having this conversation might lead to someone listening and help them and they might change their life and then they might help someone else just by yes. saying one thing or listening and saying something to a parent that gives them some reflection anything mm-hmm. but that for me is do good and the other one was do well was it mm. do well is I from what I take from that is to remember to look after you and and take take care of yourself and the world around you so we can get so caught up in in everyday life that that doesn't really mean anything and I think it's important to sometimes reflect because when you reflect that's the only time you can do well and do good if you're not giving yourself the peace and the space and actually stopping and looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, who am I and what am I doing here? What is my purpose? What do I want to get out of life? Who are my family? Do I do enough for them? Do I love them? Do I put myself out enough? What do I get in return? Ask yourself all of these questions Mm -hmm. just to give yourself that little bit of a reality check and then put things in place to move on so that you can flip between doing good and doing well and doing good and doing well for yourself and others yeah
1: yeah i think yeah that's a really lovely way a really lovely way of thinking about it and i love how you were talking about you have this conversation one person hears and then they might say something to someone else and and i often think about my work as having this kind of catalytic effect that it sparks something in, in someone else and that spark might not be seen immediately
0: no
1: it might not be a huge fire <laughs> but it's like a it's a little shift in yeah. perspective somehow which then the gets Ember's passed on lit. yeah and creating the space on the podcast to enable people to share their stories and on that tell us more about your campaign I know you've got your t-shirt on I do Yes, I am one of the unheard yes so tell us more about that so the campaign
0: is called we are the unheard and I started it because as I mentioned earlier um, when I was at university I did my dissertation on the lack of female sound engineers and then we fast forward to now nearly 20 years later and we have a lot more women in music, should I say. There's a lot of Facebook groups of female producers or female engineers. But the statistics are women out of the top 100, women have just gone up to 3% as for producers. For songwriters, I think it's 13% out of the top 100 women in boards across the music sector are zero to four percent those that are of color zero to two percent 20 years later nearly and hardly anything's changed so I was I asked myself I'm in all these groups which is great but I was trying to do this that's ages ago what has changed and then I said what can I do to make a difference because this is stupid so I started the campaign and I wanted it to be a T-shirt campaign to have visibility, and so all of the little startups and the little companies, the small businesses that are really trying to do a similar thing, can all use the T-shirt to combine our voices, to link arms, and make some visual noise, mm. I guess, um, so that our voices can be heard. Mm. And it, you know, you buy a T-shirt you take a picture with the hashtags and then I do the same and put it all on our socials. So we get visibility that way. But then everyone who buys a t-shirt, the money goes into training young women in songwriting and production. And I've just got my first, a lot of money to start doing my first workshops, which is amazing. And then, yeah, everyone who buys a t-shirt as well, I'm going to interview uh, for a book that is, the proceeds are going to go, mm. go to training women as well. So they can get their stories out. And I'm launching a podcast called We Are The Unheard. Yes. Um, yes. Where I can give people an additional platform to, mm. to tell their story. But with that, I want that to be more than just women in music because, as you know from the things that I've spoken about, there's more than me, me being a, a musician or an mm. artist that is unheard. There's, mm. you know, I'm gay. That's unheard, you know, I feel unheard with being of colour and being judged a lot throughout my life. um, I used to sit and think, I remember bringing a massive bunch of flowers to my nan's, it was her birthday, and I had this beautiful big bouquet of flowers. I took a picture of myself with them, and I just looked like this, like, thug (laughs) with a bunch of flowers. And I was like, I wonder if anyone knows I actually have two allotments and i think about this all the time because of the way that i get judged and it hurts you know um so that's another thing of being unheard that and i just think there's more things that people need to talk about that aren't any taboo subject basically that needs to be addressed and but not from a place of like anger it needs to come from a place of love and educating Mm. The whole Black Lives Matter thing, I had so many of my friends that are white saying, How can I, you know? And I'm like, This is, I love this because these are the conversations we should, we should be not be scared to ask these questions. It's okay. Mm. How else are we going to grow and learn? Yeah. By being quiet and pretending nothing's happening isn't the yeah. way.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I did a course with You Make It recently called You Change It and they're an organization that work with young working class um black and Asian women mm-hmm. in London supporting them to live well and do and, and achieve and, and yeah. live up to their potential. And they did an they do an anti-racism course which brings white people together to talk about it. And it was it was very, very powerful. It it wasn't easy because there there's questions about um how come implicit I am in in what's happening and you're having to really look inwards and think about your own bias your own body language the way you talk but I'm so glad I did it and I talk about it all the time because I think everybody should, it's, it's <laughs> should do this that what I
0: mean. and that, should... that's exactly the butterfly effect because you've done that and it's changed your perspective you talk about it now in a positive light mm. And you educate other people and that's exactly
1: what us talking should be about yeah and my children i've talked very openly to them about when i was on this course and and since then and it really gives me a lot of hope when i when just some of the things they say about black lives matters
0: and so much don't mm, we we underestimate them and talking openly to children, young children, you know, is so important because they Mm. teach us.
1: And the conversation is, I mean, I don't know if you've watched the Leanne's... I haven't watched it yet, no.
0: But there's a lot more about it, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I think it was really powerful than what she's trying to achieve and stand up for. Looking back at some of the experiences she'd had as a woman of colour and there was lots of stuff around colourism as well and she had some backlash from the black community at times because they were saying well why is this lighter skinned woman talking you know it's it's tough
0: um I stopped seeing colour at a very young age being brought up by my white side of the family but I had a boyfriend in inverted commas we were only 14 and 15 and he got murdered by white people you know, at 15, and it was two years before Stephen Lawrence, and he, Stephen Lawrence just lived up the road there. And so, yeah, I was 14 when that happened. So, very young, I was in this place of having to realize that there are just people that make really bad decisions and that are really not nice. And there are people that are good. And I just stopped seeing color from then on. And it was like, if you're nice to me, I'll be, you know, I'm going to be nice. You know, if you're horrible, I'll be horrible back. And and that was kind of like... It's a, a harsh lesson, but, I've you know, a great one that I've took with me mm. throughout the years. Mm. Unfortunately, it wasn't the same back. People would still see colour. And I'd, I'd be like, huh? Because I'd forget. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I forgot, you know. People aren't just seeing me for me. They're seeing something else. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. those experiences that we have often as change makers drive the struggles drive the passion and the real desire for yeah. change and your campaign is so powerful and has come from that place yeah do you know what i was talking
0: to someone the other day on a podcast and it was i had the realization moment because she, and i was bawling of course it, she asked me why and it made me realize that it's my story that's why I'm doing it mm-hmm. you know and I was like oh my god <laughs> Bawling, <balling. laughs> you know? but it is it is my story and that that's why that's why I'm doing it and that's why I will keep wearing this t-shirt until I'm in my
1: coffin until I see change I'll have to keep going Mm. What is the change? What, what is that difference that you, if you I, think about t- 10 years, what will be different?
0: I want the percentage of women in the industry across all sectors to be at 50% or thereabouts. Mm. I am trying to have conversations about changing the male behaviour in recording studio environments so that more female engineers feel that they can take jobs and actually get into the environment they want to work in. I'm working with young girls and young women to train them so that they know that it's a choice to begin with. I'm speaking to, like, men. So I had, for International Women's Day, I did a a really long, all-day event. It was brilliant. And I got a huge mastering engineer called Steve Bowman. He had one of my T-shirts on, and he took part in the day and chose to interview two women and even though he's mastered people like Eminem and Dr Dre and Michael Jackson and Prince, we didn't talk about anything that any of them had done but it was about how can he or men be allies to women in the studio environment, in the industry. and. That for me is like taking action because he is someone who is a gatekeeper. He is one of the guys yeah. who is huge in the industry and he's a white man. And it's important for those guys to not only have conversations with women to ask how they can be allies, but also have conversations with other men and start standing up and calling out behavior that's not right. Mm-hmm. And I've had so much support from guys who, who cause I have support t-shirts too. and it's been overwhelming the amount of support i've had so Mm. there are men out there
1: that Mm. do want
0: to help and make change but we have to do it together
1: yeah 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 that is a really lovely message (laughs) to end our conversation on let's do it together and let's keep talking and share share our stuff thank you eve how do people find out more about the campaign more about you Mm. Well, they can go to my website, which is
0: www.peakmusic.uk and my T-shirts are on there if anyone wants to buy one. You can also see all the other stuff that I do. Uh, I'm on all socials under Peak Music UK or Eve Horn or We Are underscore the unheard on instagram where you can see everyone wearing their t-shirts and stuff like that so it's got my email
1: address on the website as well if anyone wants to contact me on there so and i will put all of those links in the show notes as well so people Amazing. can click and find you immediately and i really do urge you to have a look at eve's work because she's awesome oh, so i have awesome me. guests on my podcast oh, um, <laughs> i'm flicking my hair <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I will speak to you really soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. I'm Sarah Fox and if you've enjoyed this, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. It really does help. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook and you are welcome to join my Facebook group called Do Good and Do Well, which is a place of support and inspiration for changemakers. I help people to do good in the world without losing themselves in the process by focusing on and understanding the way they feel about themselves, the way they look after themselves and the contribution they want to make in the world. If you would like me to help you focus on doing good and doing well, please book a free 20-minute call. And if you haven't already, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter too All the links are in the show notes, but most of all, take very good care. good care.